All right, I'm going to send you uh, this image. I'm going, I'm here in Austin, which of course means we're not in person recording because we're not monsters. But in our in our host-only Slack channel, I'm going to send you hopefully this picture that JP just sent me of the steaks he got for dinner tonight. All right, it's 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 processing the uploaded file. I don't know what that means in Slack. Uh, I, I the hotel internet. Uh, is... It means other people are typing. Oh, oh wow! Look at that. You see that? Man, that's now, a lot of beef right there, my friend. <laughs> How many people are coming to dinner? <laughs> well, me. <laughs> I'll, I'll have wow. to uh, I'll have to put a picture of this in the show notes. But so when, if you were to look at this, this is a this is a tops down view. I don't know if JP has a kitchen drone that he used to take this picture. Looks like he salted the steaks. But these are I want to put a picture of these steaks in here for our European listeners. This is what you call a steak. Now I have had pieces of meat globally across the world, and they're delicious. I love a piece of meat. But a steak. What's going on here is I would say uh, you got about. <clears throat> let's say maybe a fourth to an eighth is white and the rest of it is red, which is to say mm-hmm. it's very well marbled. Very, very. Now I hate to break it to, to the audience, but that white stuff is fat. That's, that's what you're looking at there. Just, oh, no. oh, just no. fat. Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> but that, that's some delicious looking stuff. It's nice. I, I went to, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I, long ago, I have an old high school friend used to play D&D with, I did, both of us with each other, Jason Cohen, and uh, he, he has WP Engine here in town, and he had Smart Bear, and, you know, he also has a real life he does stuff in, but I met him over at uh, Terry Black's, I'm gesticulating at it right now in my hotel room, and uh, it's right there across the river, everyone tells me that's where you should go, it's true, it's a very good barbecue. Nice. That's- like you went to, you, you met him recently? Yeah, yeah, today for lunch. Huh? And oh, fantastic. I nice. had a, I had a beef rib and a uh, piece and a half of brisket. I got an in piece of brisket. Got really lucky there. And uh, I'll tell you what, the green beans they have there, delicious. So uh, that's going to be on my new recommendation list. Go over there. Remember, uh, for, all, for everyone listening, though, make sure to eat your, your meats before you go to the vegetables. Remember, you don't want to ever – don't load up on the vegetables too mm-hmm. early. Make sure you get that meat and then layer it in with some, uh, some vegetables. Yeah. Just, just yeah. a quick eating tip there. So yeah. well, these look good. These steaks. I mean, this, is this porterhouse? I'm trying to like. It is an aerial view, so I can't really get the side. They look very thick too. So yeah, you have you have quite a feast ahead of you. Yeah, that's true. It'll it'll be great. I I think I'm gonna. So tell me tell me, Brandon. We're we're both around in the same the same sort of uh, life situation in a good way, sort of age friend stuff. So what is the current? See, if my wife was here, I wouldn't have to worry about this because she would do it. But what is the what am I supposed to bring? Right? Because I don't know how it is elsewhere, but here in America, you never, well, I don't know, maybe you're supposed to ask if you could bring something, but the answer is always the same. You don't need to bring anything, right? That's, that's, uh, that's what you get. But I think what you're supposed to do is you just bring something. Now, my thinking is I'm just going to bring a six-pack of the beer I'd like to drink, uh, which I think that's cool. Does that check the box, or is there other things I'm I think that checks the box. I think that, and of course, the, the bottle of wine, assuming your, your hosts mm-hmm. enjoy wine. Obviously, you're having steak, so... There are many red wines you could probably quickly procure. And I have some waffles from Albert Hein to bring. Mm-hmm. Is that cool but too? But you are you're in a little bit of a dilemma, right? Like mm-hmm. technically in your situation, you should have brought something from the Netherlands. I have the waffles. That, that's that's a good Oh, one. that's true. You know, yeah, you gave yeah. me some of that. That was some good stuff. Yeah, that would actually no, that's that in your case, that's exactly what you should get, okay. right? Okay, you should good, get good. you should be bringing something like, "Oh, you know, you can't get this here. Look at this 
this great dessert that we have in the Netherlands. And it's like, oh, people are like, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. Even if you just bought it in the, the Schiphol Airport or Schiphol, whatever it is, on your way out, it still counts. It all counts. Yeah. It's like, that's what I do when I when I travel with the family. I just like, oh, especially when you come and like hit that London, um, what is it, the uh, duty-free section? Buy anything there and be like, yeah, I was thinking of you as I walk 10 seconds yeah. into the store and grab something. It's great. No, you're perfect. That'll be perfect. That's we'll true. That, like the, I think the Heathrow move is like, hey, look. Here's some flavorless cookies, but it's got some tartan on it, so it's fucking British or some shit. That's right. Enjoy. A, for all the kids, here's a double-decker bus. You never thought you'd get one of those, did you? Congratulations. Kapowie. Hey. Uh, yeah, but I, so I, 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 uh, I've only been gone a year, so it's not like anything's changed. But uh, that said, I have not spent a lot of time downtown in many years, as we were talking about uh, before we started recording. And uh, I don't know. The downtown's fine. We got all these scooters down here. That's kind of weird. Did you partake in it? Did you do any bird, any lime, or did you just walk? Well, I just walked, and I'll tell you why. I was talking with Jason about this. I was saying, like, I'm really tempted. I mean, I've ridden on scooters before. I got I got no problem. I'm, I'm Philosophically, I'm not opposed to scooters like some people or whatever, some people. And there's also bikes, and I feel like I should, like, ride a bike, you know, because I ride bikes all the time now. But, like, since I grew up here, I know that there are absolutely no norms about what you're supposed to do with bikes and scooters. So I feel like I'm going to get killed by a car. And either that or, like, you ride the scooter on the sidewalk, but that doesn't make any sense, right? Like that mm-hmm. – so it's all, yeah. like – and also, I, I'm, you know, I've ridden on scooters and they're fun, but you look really stupid when you're on a scooter. <laughs> Let's just – I don't know. You just look really dumb. And uh, so all of that combined together, plus the fact that I like to walk around nowadays, and it's not too hot. It's like I haven't yeah. ridden on them. But. Yeah, thanks for bringing in the the cool weather. I, well, you can claim victory <laughs> on that. That was appreciated. Or are you at where are you guys staying? Are you staying at the luxurious JW? Yes, I'm, I'm at the, the the JW Marriott. It's gotcha. Very nice. All right, so yeah. you're just you're just a few blocks because you're you're at the convention center, right? Is that where the big yeah, spring yeah, one yeah, platform yeah. is? All yeah. right, so you know it's not it's. It's not necessary to have a scooter. It's not that. No, hard. no, no. What so, Jason eat- told Jason told me that there is a legit bike lane on Fifth Street between Congress and like Lamar, and so maybe I'll get my gratuitous bike ride in by renting one of those little bikes and and going up and down that way. That'll be fun. I I, I walked over to Whole Foods and the Book People and stuff like that uh, on uh, mm-hmm. Sunday morning. That was pleasant. Well, that's true. Like for the, our you know listeners, especially in Europe, uh, they probably find it odd. But here in Austin, the way they do it is they, they occasionally you'll run into this fantastic bike lane, but it's like I don't know two three hundred yards, and then it just stops, and there's, <laughs> there's, and there's nothing. So, so like you would think when you're like, oh, we have this network of bike lanes and it all works together. It's like nope, you kind of have like very short, almost like sprinter length bike lanes that just end for no reason. So, yeah, th- there was there was like some some lines with a bike pictogram <laughs> in it uh, on Cong- the Congress Bridge. And then there were cars riding in it, not riding, driving in it. And so um, I don't I don't think that's what's supposed to happen with the bike lane. I don't well, you know. You see how the meeting went, though. I mean, they're like, well, we have enough money for the bike lanes. Then they got to the bridge. You're like, no, we definitely don't have money for bike lanes on a bridge. So you know, just draw. <laughs> but we have paint. So just draw, just draw, put a sign up and like kind of draw something in the corner uh-huh. and then, you know, then pick up the bike lane on the other side. That's clearly the way yeah. we roll in Austin. Yeah. And and then the uh, the conference itself, very nice. So we had a uh, swagless conference. Now, I think like most people, I was like, hmm, let me analyze that. That sounds like a bunch of bullshit because I'm not going to get stuff. But I think having experienced it, it is nice. You get these little cones and then there's four like buckets 
you can drop the little co- did I say cones or coins? The little uh, Co- cones. They're sorry, coins? they're not cones. They're they're like um cardboard coins, you know, like round circular, you know. They come in just circular. Uh mm-hmm. and then there's four there's buckets uh that are four charities you can give them to. And that's kind of fun. You just go, you know, you can grab a handful of those things and I think it contributes like two dollars or something to them. And uh you know, maybe I don't have any rubber balls that like light up when you throw them. Um, but I think ultimately, as I found out when I moved from my house here, uh, I I'm not I'm I've already by not picking up any swag, I I am not throwing away a box full of crap that I've lugged around for five years. Uh, mm. that, uh, so that'll be good. That's interesting. But like, so does that, does that go hand in hand? I didn't realize the swagless conference then led like as an addendum is it. By default, it means like people are then giving yeah. the swag money to charity. Is that is that That's, do they always go hand in hand? Yeah, or is it just I think, like, I think I've always I think I've always seen it done that way. And sometimes ah. what the 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 conference will do is instead of letting you choose, they'll just be like, "We're giving the money to someone else," and uh, they'll they'll tell you about that, which which kind of makes sense. I don't know. Seems nice. Uh, I guess I don't get a tax deduction for that, but but that's fine. <laughs> it does seem nice. Well, hopefully, some good charities mm-hmm. got mm-hmm. some 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 swag money, I should say. And then uh, I think you know, since since well, first of all, I run into tons of listeners. I even ran into one person who had excellent hair from IBM. So good job with your hair. And uh, I offered to give him a sticker because I finally had stickers, and he said, mm-hmm. "No, I I don't I don't want stickers," which is fine. But but I was a little dis, you know I was a little upset because as as listeners know I never have stickers to give out, uh, and I finally had the stickers and uh, people didn't want them so from now on I'm just not going to bring stickers it just never works out. <laughs> Great, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's all right. They can always email at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com and we're happy to send them to them wherever exactly. they are. No, I'll I'll try to bring them. But I've run I've run into many many people who who enjoy the podcast so that's that's very Great. nice of them. Good to, to come up and say hello. That's good stuff. And then also kind of on, on the level of meta stuff. So on Monday, we had this thing called a, the executive experience. Now, now you know what these are, Brandon. It's oh, not yeah, a, maybe. I do a lot of, I do a lot of executive dinners and, mm-hmm. uh, that's, you know, you get eight or 10 people in some city somewhere and you have a nice dinner, give a little speech, you know, just sort of just get to know each other, talk amongst yourself, blah, blah, blah. And this instead was maybe, I don't know, 80 or a hundred people. I forget oh, how many wow. it was. Not a yeah, big yeah. One. Nice. Yeah, and we had uh, we had like uh, we had Jeffrey Hammond from Forrester come talk. We had this guy Greg who wrote Essentialism talk, and then we had uh, Pat Gelsinger and Michael Dell on a little panel. My uh, my friend Lauren, she's the head of marketing for EMEA. She interviewed them. That was fun. And then uh, I interviewed someone. But I thought you know I thought it's uh, the executive thing like that. I think it's it's worth going over the kind of the format. It's like. Tell tell me tell me if you've been to these things if it's a similar sort of thing. It's basically like you rent out a wedding place. So we were at the bar mansion with two R's where I almost got married, I think. And um you kind of do it in the afternoon. You're gonna have maybe two maybe three hours of content and you get all the all the executive people together. And it's basically just like a tiny conference. And usually you bring in, you know, like a, a an, they call it an outside speaker. Right, Brandon. That's the, of course, the phrase. Yes. So you some bring talent. So basically, some interesting talent. Bring now, in. yep. now, now, I worked on the the small but uh, highly effective content uh, panel, as it were, for for this uh, this thing. Me and me and like a couple other people. And you know the way it goes. For whenever you're getting an outside speaker, first conversation is, should we get a sports person? Right. 
and every, and you're like, ah, uh, and you know, whenever I'm in this, I, I do this every now and then. Whenever I'm in this situation, I'm like, most people know me well enough. I'm like, look, I don't care about sports. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't even know who I would ask. And like, I've seen, like, I saw that uh, that Inky guy give a, one of these pep talks, and it was actually pretty good. He he gave a good talk, but usually it's just like, I don't fucking know, you know, like. I drive around in cars like I was driving around here and uh it was it was it was uh I don't know there's no football on Saturday is there like why yeah, there's I... a lot of college football on Saturday Yeah yeah but I mean there's not there's not NFL maybe it was no, maybe it was college football that was being but you know it was the typical like after game thing and they're interviewing the quarterback and the quarterback like yeah well what do we do wrong we just we just uh we didn't play good enough we go uh, next to, so what are we going to do next time how can we improve well we could play better and, and and just like I don't I don't need someone to come talk to a bunch of executive twenty minutes about how they need to play better, like but so we didn't have a sports person, uh, which was nice. But we found this uh, this other person to come talk. The kind of like their message fit with our theme, and then okay. and then you have a what fam- were they? You're like leaving us in like what what if you don't want to see the person like what genre are they like an author? Oh yeah yeah. I was saying it's spe- it's like- uh, it's the guy who wrote that book essentialism. And, oh, uh, okay. That yeah, was the yeah, guy. Yeah. Okay. And he and was, was he good? Like, was it? Yeah. Did you, yeah. Had you read the book, or was it just like, hey, this is just him talking about his book, or did he kind of? I've I've, uh, I've listened. Deliver. I've I've seen. I you know, in selecting people, we had a big list. I watched a bunch of videos and presentations. He's 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 good. He he gives a good talk. He uh you know he uses some like grandiose examples for things, but he does it pretty well. Like he uh he'll talk about Gandhi, but then he's obviously like, well, you're not going to be Gandhi. But like, what's the generic pattern that we can uh, extract from this about how to focus on the right things and whatever? But I think that right, real quick then, yeah, so yeah. like there are like I think when you hire when you bring these kind of people in, there are two kinds. There are, if you will, speakers who've written books, and yes. then there are authors who speak, right? And they can be very different, right? Like yeah, one yeah, is yeah, yeah. like I really like to speak, and the book is kind of just my method of validation, right? And the other, the authors are more like, I love to write and someone is forcing me out of my uh, writing studio to come talk. And I yeah, prefer yeah, yeah, that you just yeah. read the book. Like, so did, does he, is he more kind of the speaker that sort of like is like super passionate and like has, or is yeah, he more like, I, like, I think, I think he, I think he's closer to the speaker side, but I think, mm-hmm. but he also has written several books. So I don't know, but he, he definitely, you can tell he enjoys speaking and that's uh, good. All right, he, he, he does a good job, and and the thing the thing you know the the meta layer thing that I took away is he's the only he's the only person I've seen do audience interaction where it like actually is worthwhile. <laughs> like like if people have seen me talk before or even read some of my commentary, I don't really like dealing with the audience. I don't want to like ask them questions or have them raise their hand or any of that stuff. I just you know I'm just gonna talk. And right, you have like it. you're there. You have a message. Well, what do you do? Did he do like the raise your hand, or did he have something better? Like, no, wow, no. So, like, so well, well, he did. He did do some snap thing, but that was, you know, he did that towards the end when it wasn't going to be ridiculous. Uh, but okay. the the thing the the thing that was interesting is uh, so at some point he talks about and you he did this and he does this in his standard talk, but basically he talks about uh, I don't know what words he used, so I'm going to put it all in my words as like. Uh, you know, there's these companies uh, that become complacent and then they go out of business. And yet they were at the king of the world. Like, like, what's their deal? And so he has people yell out companies like that. And then, you know, people yell out various things. Uh, and someone finally said uh, Kodak, which I guess, you know, he knows something about. 
And uh, and then he asked people like like why like what did Kodak do wrong? And then every, someone's like you know uh, digital photography took over from them. And then he kind of can weave back to that point of like well the crazy thing is like they invented digital photography right and yeah, so they invented it yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then and then the other thing another thing that that was really uh, that was usually the audience doesn't do stuff this well <laughs> but. He was at one of the people yelled out like, "What's an organization that was complacent and failed?" And someone yelled out the uh, the East India Company, which totally like caught him off guard because he's a British guy, and he was like, "Whoa, I've never heard that answer." And then he went off on this total like five minute tangent about the East India Company, which was which was awesome, right? Like, so uh, yeah, so in that instance, it kind of worked because he was. Uh, because whenever you engage the audience, you're doing two things. Usually, you're doing just the first, which is keeping them awake, yep. very, <laughs> and like, which is very important. Very important. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it's like like you know, I sh- I was about to say I don't have anything against whiteboarding magic in a talk, but I have I have a little bit against it. I mean, there is there is a rhetorical flourish to whiteboarding, right? It just is like cool, right? And so people are impressed, but it can be very helpful. I mean, it is it is generally a good rhetorical tool. And getting audience participation is also a rhetorical tool to just like people seem to like that. So they think they, they, they have better memories of something. Whereas, you know, I'm the opposite. I'm like, fuck, I don't want to do work. Would you just talk? Like, <laughs> you're the one who needs to do the talk. I'm not interested in working on your behalf. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was notable. He, he's, uh, I've been thinking a lot about how I should, uh, I should involve audience people more. So it was, uh, it was instructive. So then, you know, you have uh, local activities. So we had, uh, you could do some lassoing. Uh, we gave away hats that you can get steamed. And then you hire a guy to, to walk around with a rope and make knots with people. You have some drinks, stuff like that. And then you go have a dinner. And uh, among other things, we had some ostrich on the menu, which, mm. was, which was nice. Yeah, I was thinking like, oh, we get to eat dinosaurs, basically. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it was, it, was a, it was a nice event. And the weather is fantastic. It was good weather for that kind of thing. Well, it's good. Well, did the, uh, you know, because it's obviously the executives, was there a lot of uh, glad handing? Did people feel like they, they got a chance to talk amongst their executive peer group and exchange yeah, yeah, yeah. stories in a, a safe environment where? I think so. I think, I yeah. think it worked. Like I talked with like four or five different uh, people that I know, you know, as we would say on the vendor side, customers. But there's, uh, it's, yeah, it's nice. I've gotten to know a lot of people over the years you know, in a work context. And it's fun to like catch up with them and see what they're up to. And to I do think it's always interesting. The, the executive kind of like meet up or the executive round table session. It's like one, they're always much shorter. Like they're like half a day kind of thing. Right. And then they're just what you said. There's only usually like a couple speakers followed by like a great meal. And then it's like, like you're really just getting like the best of the conference, like in like say four or five hours. <laughs> and I've often thought to myself, no, this is kind of like what everybody wants. Like, I just want your best five hours. I don't want to be here for six days. So, uh, so sometimes I often think to myself, it's like, yeah, we could probably expand this idea and just like do do shorter, faster things and like yeah. give people like good meals. Like, it would be okay to give the, uh, I'll just call it the non-executives, whatever it is. It would be okay to have a similar event like that, right? That is uh, that yeah, isn't yeah, just yeah. Like a a uh, a meetup or isn't just a. Uh, uh, what like an unconference, right? Like you could do this for smaller groups too. They probably like it as well. So you know, yeah, you know that is that is uh you know as with you like over the years I've been I've been uh, at many conferences. I've spoken at many conferences, and uh, the fewest amount is like helping actually do conferences. And 
you know, it's 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 like it's like a lot of content stuff. There's a lot of theories about the length that things should be, right? Like it's always, and for some reason, uh, the higher up the management chain you go, the less time people say you will pay attention to things. Which, I mean, I'm sure there's truth to it. But then to your point, like, well, if I'm an individual contributor, like, why do I want to pay attention to you for 45 minutes, <laughs> right? Like this. I, I don't know. I mean, like, like when we were putting together this agenda and many other things, like people would be like, oh, we can only have things be 20 minutes because people are going to stop paying attention. And I always think like, well, yeah, if the content is not interesting, but if it's good and valuable, like, why not 30 minutes? Like, and it's a similar thing for videos. People are always like, oh, you should have five minute videos or 10 minute podcast. And I just like, I'm always suspicious of, of these things because usually the people who are saying this are not the ones who actually make the content or like participate in the content. They're just like the meta people around it. But I guess things can always be shorter. No, I I think you're right. But I think the meta people around, I mean, listen, the people that are putting together the schedules and working the content, I mean, have much different motivations and are usually balancing a whole set of things that have nothing to do with the audience, right? Like, like how many, you know, product, you know, like if you're representing products or however you're organized, right? What is that? Uh, Conway's law, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the product, but the conference often reflects an organization too, whether you nod it or want. It's like, I've been on many of these things where people are like fighting for a specific track for their set of products. And it's like, ah, you know, we could just have one track or you could just, you know, not every session needs to be an hour, but if so-and-so got an hour, then I need an hour. You know, there's a lot of that that goes into it. Um, which isn't always, you know, you, you, maybe there should be someone just designated as the audience member. Like you're the token audience member and you just raise your hand when like the audience has not been <laughs> mentioned in like an hour. It's like, okay, guys, that would be funny. Like, let's just, uh, look back and see if the audience, so it's hard though, but conferences like anything of complexity is very hard to balance it and keep everybody happy. So yeah, at the yeah, end, yeah. it's always like the best thing about a conference though is it has a date and it just happens and then it's over. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, that, thank that God. Good. Thank God that happened. Every everyone agrees on that. They're like, "You know what my favorite part of this whole of, of this whole thing is? It's over." <laughs> it is. I mean, I mean, there's no way to say it. It's like moving. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of work to, to uh make it look effortless as it were. Well, uh yeah, so that was fun. That was some quality content we just had right there reminiscing about uh events and stuff before we move on i was gonna say just why don't you give us like you might you wrote up a nice article this week on how to moderate give us like Mm. your uh don't make me read it you know give me your uh just three minutes uh, three minutes yeah yeah give me give me your 90 seconds you're gonna zone out after after (laughs) 20 minutes because i can't pay attention beyond that (laughs) well i'll pick three things so I, i i started writing this up for someone else who asked me some advice about moderating stuff and uh, I, th- I think I think there's three salient things for mo- not salient, but my uh, my short version. It's very long. It's maybe not as long as my 2,800 words on barbecue from uh, last week. Uh, but I think first of all, uh, there's there's a general flow. Like what what is what's a what's a panel supposed to look like? I mean, you have a moderator, and let's say a panel has at least two panelists. Otherwise, that's called an interview if there's just one. And uh, if I think maybe once you get above three, it's not going to go well. That's too many people, right? Like you, no one's going to have time to do anything. But generally, so we'll get to the questions. But the first thing you want to do is you got to tell the panelists ahead of time, don't introduce yourself at length. Just say what your name is, where you work, and don't say anything else. I was about to say you can say a little bit more, but really just don't let them say anything else. And 
you know, a lot of people uh, would think you should introduce yourself, but it's sort of like there's not enough time in a panel. And also, you should know who the person is if you're showing up. And if you don't know who the person is, you probably don't care. Like, to play out the scenario, if you just showed up at a panel and you didn't know anything about it, uh, and someone extensively introduced themselves and said who they were, I don't really think it's the case enough of the time where you're like, oh, I'm going to enjoy this panel a lot more because they told me who they were. Like, like they're either going to say something interesting or not, or you already know who the person is, and that's part of why you went to the panel. So make sure people don't introduce themselves very well. So just tell them to do it briefly. And then I think, I think it's always important to tell people as the moderator like what the point of the panel is and what you hope they're going to take, take away from it, right? And uh, I mean, this is just a general speaking tip is uh, how does it go, Brandon? You, uh, you tell people what you're going to tell them, you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them, as, as I recall. <laughs> and that, that applies to a panel as well. You want to kind of prime their mind for what's going on. And then, uh, you know, you ask a few questions here and there of the panelists. And then eventually, if you're nice, you're going to ask the audience if they have any questions. And then in that case, what you're going to do basically is if there's not a microphone, you got to repeat the question. And uh, as a moderator, you can play a little game where, like, if their question was confusing or boring, you can say, like, as a moderator, you can say, and I'd also like to add this part to this. Like, nice. if I could, if nice I could reword it Very or nice. clarify it. And then you can kind of take control of a question. Because, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, as I was saying previously, I don't, I don't, um, <clears throat> I prefer to hear from the artist rather than the people looking at the painting. Um, but, but sometimes a question you get might be too specific or narrow or generally bland, and you got to uh, spice it up a little bit. you got to put some, uh, some stuff on that old beef to, to make it taste good. So then I, I think I'll only go over two things unless you're, you're interested in much more. I'll open it up to questions after my soliloquy here. <laughs> uh, but I think there is – it probably is a good idea to talk with the panelists and kind of come up with questions that you might have with them ahead of time. Now – now, as, as you can probably guess, I'm totally cool with no prep. That just sounds like extra work. We can just show up cold and figure it out. But I've discovered over the years most people are not like that. Uh, they like to prepare. But as a moderator, I think it's, it's especially important. In fact, I would say whenever I moderate a panel, well, this is more bravado than truth, but I, I do a lot more preparing in a different way than when I do a talk. Because I do a lot more original work, let's say. Because it's good to go watch interviews that these people have had in the past or, like, go read interviews they've had. Because you want to get, for your panelists, you want to get a sense of, like, the style of questions that they, they answer and how they respond to things. And also you can just steal questions from previous interviews because no one's really – this is what I've discovered is most people in an audience, like, whatever content you're giving to them, it turns out they've never seen it before. So, <laughs> so, so you don't have to worry about, like, repeating yourself from uh from previous panels and previous questions you can kind of just go True. over things again which it took me a long time to realize that that like i'm the one who's bored because i've seen i've seen this i've seen That's myself right. do i directed it so this movie 10 times i don't care about it. yeah 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 no hey well listen i did have uh, i'm going to interject here with a question mm -hmm. which i know you love but yes yes audience member <laughs> please come to the mic you that you uh, mentioned in there and I wanted to ask you about was, you know, you kind of made the point that, you know, this isn't uh, like meet the press and not to, um, you know, to not essentially be like confrontational around their questions and like to the point about like, you know, it's okay to prep the questions, right? This isn't like yep. you're trying to trap somebody. But I, uh, so my question 
Kote. <laughs> As if uh, I had the long microphone, would be like, uh, I, I don't know if you ever watched like, a Kara Swisher interview mm. of like some tech giants, right? Where, you know, she can be pretty difficult. But uh, I have just found that like what I do want the moderator to do is to be that placeholder for like, you know, kind of the big uh, question in the room. So like, you know, yeah, if there's yeah. a big event or something has happened or a company maybe didn't do well or an acquisition just happened or a management chain change just happened or something like that. So maybe the interviewer or the person that's being interviewed, interviewee, I guess, uh, guest or panelist, you know, they may or may not want to be asked about it, but I think you got to do one of two things. You either have to ask or you have to just say to the audience, Hey, we're, you know, we're not going to talk about that. And then yeah. you just give any reason you want. So like, we can't talk about the latest acquisition because it's whatever, or the IPO because it's quiet period. But I do find that I am frustrated sometimes. And maybe this is where it leads to people questions. It's like, okay, there's clearly a topic that everybody in this room or 90% of the people care about and you're steering away from it and you're not yeah, yeah. asking it. And it's like a frustrating thing in the audience. It's like, you either got to ask it or say you're not addressing it. Yeah, don't yeah. just do nothing. No, no, I, I agree completely. And like when I've, when I've either panels I've done in the past or when I'm working on coming up with questions. Yeah, I agree. Like you just like, there are one to two obvious questions. Let's ask those first. Right. It's just like, you know, or like you say, we can just say we're not going to address them, but like you can't, uh, you can't elephant in the room it. Right. And so, yeah, you definitely, if there's, if there's an obvious question, you have to, uh, go over it and ask it. Otherwise you just, everyone seems like you're just insulting the audience. <laughs> uh, and, and then also, yeah, I mean, it's an obvious tactic, but if you, uh, if you ask a difficult question first, then you can control the whole environment, right? Instead of having mm -hmm. an audience member ask it and you can, uh, diffuse any, any sort of attacks you ha you might have or things you're worried about. But yeah, I think, I think it's good to come up with uh, a bunch of questions that you've even shared with the panelists but then as the moderator, uh, you know, you just need a piece of paper with all the questions listed and just kind of order them in interestingness on down. Because, like, I think about, uh, like, what I put in there is, like, for every, for about every 30-minute chunk, you should allow for five minutes of audience questions. So, like, you know, if you're 45 to 60 minutes, that's basically 10 minutes. And, uh, but often, more than you would think, audience people don't have questions. Or, even worse, you'll have to... <clears throat> like wait 90 seconds for someone to raise their hand. So uh, you got to have some questions ready to go of the, uh, the panelist, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's generally like the main thing is like as a moderator to like do a lot of preparation of questions and then more or less uh, to do a little bit of wrangling of panelists uh, as far as like calling directly on people and sometimes having a specific question for others and then sometimes, like, you know, panelists will try to, like, add on to other people and go on and on. And you have to, like, figure out some rhetorical tricks to basically, in a polite way, to tell them to shut the fuck up. And, you know, like, you can't, you can't like, people can't add ten, a 10-minute ten addendum to someone else's answer and try to uh, steer things uh, into their own direction. Now, all of that said, back to the politician thing, is, like, in most of your life, when you're arranging a panel, it's going to be of a bunch of people who like each other. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and like, we'll play along with each other and not try to like grandstand and hijack stuff. Now that said, like, like back when I was an analyst, every now and then you would be like, um, we have a conference session and we're just going to get a bunch of random people that will do it. And can you moderate a panel on this topic of these people you've never really met and they don't know each other. And that can be a little weird and awkward, but I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's not that big of a deal. 
and uh yeah i think i think mo- mostly like when i think about crafting a panel to the point of questions that you would ask i pretty much think like well what do i want to know like what questions would i ask these people and uh and then you know if they give an answer and i come up with another question i don't have my full podcast tangential rambling thing going but I allow myself like one follow-up question if there's something interesting to just uh, delve into something more or, or uh, ask about it, which usually people enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. And if you have someone who's like a stiff, boring panelist, then you can just not ask them questions very much <laughs> if they're not entertaining. I like it. I'm in. I'm in for the next panel. Yeah. We'll, we'll, have, to, we'll, have, we'll, have, uh, we'll have one at Legacy Comp. I don't know what oh, we'll call it. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Be part of it. I love it. Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't mention all of the details of stuff that went on. We always have these things kind of off the record, just allusions to them. Now, however, we use the internet a lot to collaborate. And let's say I was at a coffee shop and I wanted to make sure that no one was snooping in as I was talking about panel questions we were going to have for people. What, uh, is there some technology I might use to feel safer about the security of my interneting? Well, in fact, we have just the solution, Cote. We'd like to let you know that this episode is sponsored by the Hide My Ass VPN. When you're out of your house and online, you never know who's watching. And that's why you need to start using Hide My Ass or HMA. HMA VPN is the VPN you can count on. They just launched a new version of their product, which is the biggest update yet and makes it one of the best VPNs currently available. HMA is the largest VPN service offering over 280 locations, so there's always a server nearby. HMA never logs your IP address, so there's no way for anyone to see what you are doing. HMA uses 256-bit AES encryption to ensure your connection is safe and sound. You can connect up to five devices, and HMA supports all the major platforms, including iOS, Android, Windows, Macs, and Linux. They just launched a new version, which includes a new user interface, a new feature named Lightning Connect, so you always connect to the fastest servers automatically, a smarter kill switch for extra protection, and split tunneling that lets you choose what traffic gets sent to the VPN tunnel. To try HMA VPN risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee, visit www.hidemyass.com slash offer dash sdt again that's hidemyass.com slash offer dash sdt and of course we thank hma and hide my ass for being such a great sponsor of our podcast well i think i think we went over a lot of geographic oddities at the beginning as far as awesome but there's one to be brief that i'll highlight i noticed i don't know if you've seen this brandon but between the convention center and the fairmont they have this sky bridge that, that you can walk over oh yes i have seen it yes yeah uh-huh. which which i saw that and boy that's a good idea it is it's, <laughs> it's fantastic it, it it's is nice. it, very convenient and it's air conditioned right oh. or at least i don't know is it air conditioned maybe it's, could, at least it's cooler yeah. when i've been in it it's cooler than outside when it's really hot so it's yeah. a good one. and listen listen let me let me say the jw marriott the fairmont very nice hotels but uh the more like they have like a vegas feel rather than like an Austin Ooh. feel. But okay. they're very All nice, right. very nice. I just, you know, it's a it's a different style of hotel than I than I would uh I would expect to be here. But I think I think it's probably fine. It will will survive. It it'll, it'll be okay. So, uh speaking of surviving, let's say that you were were air conditioning that uh that flybridge. Maybe you're using some servers. Let's say you've got those cool 
uh, flat screen displays where something maybe is going to dance across the whole bridge of an ad and tell you, you know, like about uh, an oil company that's now an energy company or something <laughs> like that. Like, is there uh, but you need to troubleshoot what's going on. Is there some sort of like monitoring stuff you might use to look over all those computers? We do. We have just a thing for that as well. This episode is also sponsored by SolarWinds. In fact, an Austin-based company, SolarWinds, headquartered here in the great state of Texas. And uh, SolarWinds is sponsoring one of their APM tools, Logly. So no one wants to find out about a critical operational issue on Twitter. With SolarWinds Logly, you can spot issues before they affect users by setting up alerting that will notify you immediately when a problem arises. Why stop there? Take it further and proactively monitor your applications using the Logly charts and dashboards to help you visualize what matters and quickly spot patterns across dynamically changing and interconnected services, events, and issues. Connect the dots across your log data with Logly. Logly is a scalable cloud-based log management that won't break the bank. Plus, SD2 listeners get a special 20% off your first yearly contract of Logly from now until December 31st, 2019, when you mention that you are a listener of SDT. New customers only, valid where prohibited. Try it for free for 14 days. Just go to logly.com slash SDT. That's L-O-G-G-L-Y dot com slash SDT. And if it logs, it can log to Logly. Thanks again for SolarWinds and Logly for being such a great sponsor. All right. Well, so I think I think for the second half here, I uh, until until I was looking through the links that we have for the show earlier today, I hadn't come across this. But there is a an extensive, in a good way, piece on Oracle Cloud, and of all places, Bloomberg, which I assume that means you know I'm sure the Bloomberg reporter wasn't just like tooling around and thought like I'm going to write about Oracle. Maybe there was some some reason or some some help from Oracle PR, which I guess they obviously had because he went and talked to some people, which is cool. But I, I, got, I found myself getting confused about the, the thrust of the story because the, uh, the headline is Oracle Shell's Larry Ellison's Dream of Cloud Dominance. And as the article opens up with, and I think, I think we, uh, we've, we've uh, uh, wickedly covered this in past years, you know, for the past three or four years, Larry Ellison comes out and tells you how and over the next 12 months, Amazon's going to go out of business because Oracle has replaced them uh, and that their lead is over. And so that's been toned down a little bit. I think there's some quote from uh, uh, some shareholder quarterly thing where he's like, oh, these other two businesses, they're going to do really well. So uh, I guess they're ERP business and database business and we'll make tons of money. I feel if I remember the quote, it's almost that like, you know, flippant. <laughs> or <laughs> flippant's not the right because flippant implies like non-genuousness. It's almost that like casually simple, right? And which is totally true. There's just lots of money to be made there, so it'll be fine. But then you read through the article, and so first there's coverage of like you know they built up. Uh, apparently, they were paying like product managers like you know three quarters of a million million dollars, which is seven hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars. Which I don't know what we were doing at the time, Brandon. <laughs> That's I feel we're like doing the wrong thing. We yeah. didn't get the call. That's yeah. the first thing that you wanted fact checked in this article. I think when you read it, you're like, "Wow, I would like to see exactly who got that money and if they truly are a mid level product manager." That seemed seems significant, but but if that is the case, I love it, and I want everyone to make more money. 
and I, I'm going to be seeking a, a raise yeah, of compensation yeah, very all, quickly. All for it. So, so there's that. But then, so then they're like, oh, and then this, these people like, you know, got laid off and like they kind of shut that down. But then they're like hiring 2,000 more people like to do cloud stuff and like it's uh, getting all started back up. So maybe, maybe I was, con- I, I wasn't paying close enough attention, but like what, I, I don't understand. Does this mean there is an Oracle cloud or not an Oracle cloud? Like what, what's going on? Well, I, you know, it's interesting to your point about like, you know, a lot of times we read these things and you feel like Oracle or in this case, you know, any of the, the corporation press relations was heavily involved And this one. I actually felt like there was some original reporting here because a lot of this now, okay, yeah, yeah, it's barring, a good piece. I'm taking the $750,000 out. Like, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just, that's, I think that's a surprising fact. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just in the dark, but the rest of it actually really does echo from what I have heard. Just like, you know, kind of like, if you will, at a conference hallway, hallway talk is that Oracle did absolutely go out and create this you know, kind of start up within a large company, you know, and then kind of Oracle 2, right? They had all this, and then a lot of the companies were based in Seattle and had, um, from what everything I heard, right, it was really built up, hired a ton of different people, some of the people we know, worked with a lot of, you know, acquisitions, and that um, the whole thing, and those guys were all, were all hired, and those guys as a general group, I think were extremely excited. In fact, a lot of them felt like they really get a chance to build you know, kind of the infrastructure layer from the ground up, quote unquote, the right way, right? Like everyone always wants to start over because now you have all the the lessons, right? So I had heard that, and I I think a few years ago, I mean, just through friends and watching people move over, that like there was an a big hiring, um, you know, surge. And then just what they've been saying is that, and I think you know, and I've also seen like obviously, an IBM is another one where there was a similar kind of idea, and that I think the lesson here is that the traditional playbook of, hey, we're going to just spend a ton, hire a bunch of people and spend a ton of money and we will eventually get to parity, right? That generally has worked in enterprise software, you know, for a while, especially for Oracle and IBM because they have just so much money and time to get there. I think what this does reflect, I think this sort of is being born out in the industry is that actually when you're building out a full public cloud, one, it takes a lot more money than even Oracle and IBM have, right? To really spend at the capital expenditure level and hiring at as like Azure and AWS, right? So you really are battling true giants. So that's that's one. And then two, I, I think Oracle and I, I'm going to lump IBM here too. Like you see both of this happen, kind of these like um, starts and stops, right? Where it's like, okay, we're going to do it. And then it, you know, it just doesn't pay off. They're not willing. It's almost like running a marathon. Someone gets to mile 16, they got another eight miles left or seven miles left. And it's just like, I'm out, right? And then they stop. But then they later on, they decide, well, I'm going to go at it again. And I think that's what's going on here at Oracle is that they made a big jump into it. It didn't go as planned. They pulled way, way back. Obviously, it upset some people. Now it looks like they're going to refocus around their specific application expertise, which is their database and their business applications, and try to carve out that specific niche. And they're going to hire, you know, I guess in this case, 2,000 people to probably focus just on that with a refocused idea. And not a bad idea by any means. It's just... It is a one of those things that when you kind of watch it, you know, from outside, it's like it is a lot of starts and stops, which I think is probably confusing to the market. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and and that's you know, I think, um, I mean, you outlined one of the first things like back when I did, you know, in the first cloud wars, as it were, like the analysis we would often do is, uh, like with AWS, they've been at this at the time 
five or eight years and spent this ton of money. And so if you want to be in that business, that's also what you need to do, which, uh, you know, nowadays, Charles Fitzgerald, he does that, right? Like he, he adds up, he estimates the cap, <clears throat> the CapEx, CapEx that the top three yeah. uh, cloud providers do. And, uh, you know, you're just sort of like, well, this is difficult to enter into. And so uh, I'm just wildly speculating here. It doesn't actually say any of this stuff in the article, but I think reading the effects of it, right? Like probably what happened is exactly what you're saying is people were, were like, oh, uh, maybe I as the corporate manager here, am, I'm not comfortable with losing $2 billion every year for five years, <laughs> right? Like I'm not really into that and, and like spending that much money and it negatively affects everything else because, you know, Wall Street doesn't give a fuck, right? They're just like, no, how about you just run those other two businesses? I like those returns better, which <laughs> yeah. we've, we've talked about that before, how like once you're public, annoyingly, you don't always get rewarded for long-term vision and innovation and stuff. But then, but then the other thing that like, you know, I'm trying to read between the lines or not even read between the lines. There's nothing to be read, but it's sort of like there's one little paragraph where, you know, this article and and again this article is great like it's a really it's not what you would expect from an article of this type or anything uh but it's like yeah they hired all the people and and there's even a picture of uh you know here's a break room with colored bicycles and as it said the offices had a, an amount of whimsy to use the word that of whimsy that was not normal for oracle and then there's this one paragraph that's like despite the talent and backing oracle's cloud infrastructure unit failed to win business and and then it's like, moving on to the rest of the story. <laughs> and it's just like, well, I think maybe there's probably three pages of why and what went wrong and like what, you know, with, with these $7,500,000 product managers, like what was on the backlog that didn't work, right? And that... That part, like it is, it's it's one thing to do the Fitzgeraldian thing of like, you know, it costs a lot of money and everything, but like how, what, do you get a feature set wrong? Do you target the wrong people that you're doing? Like this is, this is, this is a, uh, I think will become at some point a case study of how do you fuck it up? Uh, and, and which is really valuable because it's like, you know. Why did Microsoft succeed at this? Why did Google succeed at it? Why did Amazon versus like those other 15 people that used to be in the magic quadrant, right? Like in theory, they all had the same opportunity. Uh, and sometimes they they could have the same people like Oracle tried to hire all these people and probably did. I don't know. But there is, I have a, I have a suspicion that whatever they're, strategic theory was about what they would sell or how to do it like maybe didn't work out and then like so reading further like so now they're redoing it and there's i don't know i think it mentions some more focus on developers or something but uh, yeah i mean that's the part that's kind of missing and it's confusing is like so what does that mean it wasn't successful business-wise and i not knowing oracle cloud i have no idea what it actually had so i can't speculate based on that well, I think, you know, a couple things there. I think there's that, you know, famous Mike Tyson quote, right? It's like, you know, everyone's got a plan to like get punched in the face. And I think in the world of business, it's like, you know, every, everyone's going to invest until they miss earnings for the first time, right? It's yeah, just yeah. like, you know, when you miss, and that's just kind of, this is just a reality of it. Like you miss earnings, changes must be made. 
the easiest change is to cut costs, right? Because that, that you can truly control. You can't will the business to grow, right? No matter what, even, you know, and then especially when you need to grow at the multiples and at the size of, you know, billions of dollars. So that I think is, you know, in a nutshell, the, the obstacle I think for both Oracle and IBM, right? That they just didn't have enough fuel for the machine. Yeah. The current businesses are, you know, certainly feeling friction, you know, under attack, right. In a way that like, yeah, if you look at like, well, Google, like why can they do it? It's because they have a ATM, like a money machine of advertising, right? Where, you know, it just doesn't matter. And then uh, Microsoft has its long um, held uh, operating system dominance. And then of course they have these natural advantages around Office 365 and kind of customers already moving to that um, and just a ton of money, right? We're talking companies that are valued at almost a trillion dollars and even Oracle, right? Oracle and IBM, which are valued at a lot are not really approaching that level. So one, you know, you, and then of course, Amazon, right? Amazon first mover advantage, near infinite capital available in the stock market, right? So one, it's just, even if you hire all these people, right, you're still going, going, uh, competing with people that have even more money. And then two, you know, we often talk about first mover, second mover advantage. It just comes down to, you know, if you're uh, an IT department today and you've decided to move to the public cloud for whatever reason, right? It's just, you know, at what point are you like, why would I pick Oracle, right? I mean, am I saving that much money? You, and even even if they investing as much as they humanly can, they're not going to have the future set of mm. AWS, Azure, or Google. Uh, and then if you kind of even dive into that a little bit further, you'd say. Well, AWS has the broadest feature set, so they probably have what you want or they're building it. But you're like, well, I'm looking for something a little different. I want something maybe more developer-focused. You'd probably go back to Google, right? It's like, well, they don't have everything, but like my developers really like Google. They really like Go. They really, you know what I mean? There's some yeah, real or, natural or Azure. You could, they could have the and same. And then Azure, right? Azure, it's right. like, well, you know, everyone, we've been a long-time Microsoft customer, and we're already using Office 365, and we have a, a, an incredible investment in Windows uh, operating system. And it turns out they're going to give us some deals, some reasons to make it easier for us to migrate our, our current Windows uh, VMs to Azure. They're going to give us some discounts. Well, that's, an, you know, that's another really strong reason. So if you're Oracle, it's like, wow, man, you don't have all the features. You may be building them. Um, your natural advantage is around the database and some of the applications. And that's where they've retrenched, right? They've done a deal now with Azure. Like they'd actually like to, hey, why don't mm-hmm. you run the Oracle databases in Oracle Cloud? And then, you know, you can still run some stuff in Azure, which is like, okay, that's kind of playing to their strengths. That's going to allow them to, to grow their business at an albeit slower rate, but also at the same time, probably more consistently meet earnings. So it seems like a safe path for them. And that's what I think, you know, what Larry Ellison is kind of saying there is, hey, you know, it's like, you know, there's plenty, you know, I, you know, paraphrasing his quote is like, there's plenty to go around, right? If we can keep our database customers and our business applications, you know, contained um, and people using those, the, that, uh, those software stacks, then that's going to be our growth going forward. And that mm-hmm. isn't going to be the same growth as AWS, but that's probably a place that at least at this moment is very hard to compete directly with. So, so do you think, I, I wonder like, like over the last five years or so, or maybe more, like the CEOs of big tech companies, like they sp- spend a lot of their time talking with major shareholders. I don't know. They go talk to like PIMCO or some shit, right? Like people who own like significant chunks of their uh, their stock. And do you, do you think maybe they have a con- they ever have a conversation where the uh, the the investor, <clears throat> the shareholder is like, how come you're not doing public cloud? <clears throat> and they're like, well, uh, have you seen this chart from Charles Fitzgerald? Do you want us to spend that much money over time and cause our numbers to look like that? And then the investors are like, hmm, good point. 
I see why you're not doing that. Yeah, I think it's it's more direct. I think it's more why are you not growing at a rate like this as compared to some industry uh, average, right? right, right? right, right that's right. how they start. So, so it's basically like figure out some way to do this. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what, how they start. It's like, listen, I don't, I don't think they – and then some – I think an activist investor, maybe like a more like a hedge fund, maybe, maybe that level, right, would say – you know, they, they may have a real strong opinion, like you're not doing this or you're doing something else that is wasting the money. And I, as the activist shareholder, I'm going to, you know, I've articulated a strategy for you and I'm now going to take a, a strong activist position that you do this. And that could either be you sell off some assets or, you know, build something or whatever. But I think for the most of these investor conferences, it's, hey, we've looked at your peer comparisons, right? In yeah. AWS and Google and and we don't see you growing at this rate. Why? And then now the response can be, you know, and that one response could be like, well, we're building public cloud and this is the way we're going to do it. And that was probably the response two or three years ago. But now that only plays out for investors for so long. They're like, well, you said you're going to do this. doesn't seem like it's working. And then this is the point of like, you know, I guess it's conviction. Like if you truly believe in it, you push on anyway. You're like, guys, you need to stay with me, right? Or you do a stock buyback and say like, Fine, don't buy it. I'm going to buy back as much as I stack. And then five years from now, you know, you're going to wish you'd stayed with me or mm-hmm. you retrench and say, we did. We gave that a good shot, but that market dynamic has shifted. And now here's our new plan. Our new plan is to, in this case, retrench around our database and our software applications. And we're going to grow at eight, eight or nine percent. And we think this is very predictable. Right. We think this is yeah. a very safe multiple. And you should be in this because anything could happen to AWS or Azure. And, you know, you need it. This is another way to divest yourself with some risk in tech so see, I, mean, I think that's where the conversations go yeah going it, like it'd be fun to have a panel with uh let's see you get I, i've learned i've asked people around here what they think of google cloud and everyone every, everyone calls that dude tk they're just like well you know i think since they brought uh, tk on and i'm like what that who of, uh, thomas curry and yeah thing? yeah that so okay. so for, we have to call him tk that's what All that's right, what TK. the insiders say I, right, TK whatever. says it's good. All right. You could have him on our panel, right? And then you'd have to have maybe this Don Johnson character from Oracle and then someone from Microsoft. I mean, you could have an AWS person, but like, you know, who who needs them in the sense of like, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe you have them. And like the question as a moderator, you would have to word it and be like, so why were you Microsoft successful when Verizon, Oracle, and, you know, name you could even name Dell, like several other IBM were not as successful. And the answer cannot be because you had better stuff. Like all of these other companies, they could have better stuff. Like or or they could have paid your people and poached them and paid tons of money to get them. So like, why did you succeed at it? Like and, and it would be great to have like an actual answer of I mean, it could even be something as crazy as like, well, there was this data center one day. I mean, but there's got to be some, like, at least three key moments of why Microsoft was able to do this. Like, because Microsoft had, I guess they had Bing, which is maybe something, but they had structurally the same limitations as all these other tech companies had, right? Where where they didn't have, like, their expectation was that they should be conservative and it doesn't seem like they could build out all this stuff. So that's what an Oracle and a Cisco and an HP and an IBM, they're in a similar situation that Microsoft was in and vice versa. But somehow Microsoft had permission to do all of this stuff mm-hmm. and uh, and on and on and on, right? And, and you know, it would be interesting to have uh, TK. Uh, of course, no one would ever answer this stuff, which would make it a terrible panel. 
but but to essentially like that would you know going back to like the the article it's sort of like well what what are they going to do differently now and and it goes back to the people part where like i thought this was a whole separate article but it's even in that article where it's like and then so after all this whimsy they uh no one ever says fired but they got rid of 2000 people and then you read like six more paragraphs and it's like and now they're hiring 2000 people and you're like <laughs> Uh well I guess maybe these two thousand people only cost a hundred fifty thousand a year, so they're not so expensive. Yeah, maybe they're different people. I don't know. I mean, well, many thoughts here. I think mean, one is just like it. You know, <laughs> you know what? I just think the article just rings so true to me about just I don't know corporations about how you know they're just constantly adding and removing people, and it's like you know at the, at the end of this, there are real people, and again, most of these people are you know myself included, right? Like we're in good position, so you know good job mobility. So that's good. But at the same time, it's just, it's just crazy. Sometimes you go these different places, like how quickly companies go from like, we got to cut costs to hire people and vice versa. It's just crazy. And especially if you're, if you are in the 2000 and either like coming and going, it seems even more absurd when it's, when you're yeah. in that. So I feel for all those people. And sometimes I'm just like, if we just wait for a little bit, right. You know, and this is sort of like, kind of goes back to, if you're at any corporation, it's about, you know, everyone wants to believe like it's some kind of like there's like a set of ranking and we got rid of the bad people and that's great. And that's, you know, now all we'll have is good people left and things like that. It's like, no, really, it's just like the timing. Like if you can somehow, cause I've seen this happen. If like somebody that's maybe close to being let go, if they can somehow survive it, maybe make it to the next round. Well, then suddenly the company may be adding people and they may find themselves getting promoted, right? Like that line between mm. layoff and promotion, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think is very thin. So there's, there's, I guess, you know, that side of it. And then kind of back to your earlier question, you know, while I love the topic, that discussion would be interesting. I think the idea that anyone knows the answer, it's it's like it's like posing the question is like, why is Old Town Road a hit song for like 20 <laughs> weeks? Like there I mean, especially because you'd say, well, Old Town Road, the guy made it on his probably his Mac and he just he licensed the clip off uh, Splice for like third, you know, three or four dollars. And uh, he produced it. And it's and then you talk to like people that really know music. They're like, well, he just used what are considered very. Um, you know, well-known beat structures. And then people are like, well, and then people that write lyrics, it's like, well, the hook is a well-known hook. And it's, and then the lyrics in between, they're like, well, you know, and so you kind of like, when you unwrap it all, and it's like, here there's these companies like Sony Music, and they spend millions, tens of millions trying to create hit songs, right? And this guy out of nowhere seemingly does it. And then people go back and all retroactively try to like explain why it was a success. Like they're like, well, he did this and he did this and he, and then there was like, I read something about like, he really knew how to create memes and he put the memes and the, the song in his memes. And it's like, no, the answer is these are really complicated, complex systems, like almost more like chaos systems. Like you yeah, don't yeah, know what yeah. is going to happen at any time. And there's no way to predict that the next song. In fact, I would, I think we could, you know, if you were taking bets would say, uh, the, I just forgot his name, uh, Nas, Little Nas X, right? Like, chances are we will never hear about Little Nas X again, right? Like, he will never have a song this popular again, right? That we were just taking bets. Um, and, like, he'll have no idea why he created it and how it made him a success and vice versa. So there's always, you know, very complicated systems that are not easy to understand, and it's not always clear. So that's why... And to your point about like the board of directors, I was out to lunch with some friends today and it's like, you know, the board of directors, it's always like we're getting some slides together for the board meetings. And like there's always this belief that you have all the answers and this inside the slides <laughs> there will be some answers. And it's like all that you really have is opinions inside the slides. We're going to do the following things. 
because we think it gives us the best chance. But when you present it, people always want you to present it as if it's fact, right? This is yeah, like yeah, why yeah. they're all stupid hockey, hockey uh, stick graphs. It's like that's what people want you to say. They want you to say it with conviction. So you either got to convince yourself that it is going to happen or you just convince yourself that if I say this, it gets me to the next round, right? Mm-hmm. And then hopefully something good will happen. So, um, so there isn't any answer to a lot of those questions. There are just opinions and ideas, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That may or may not help you along there. But again, it's kind of back to the, the halo effect. Like when people become too obsessed with like the things that they did and attribute those things to the success, that's when you're really in a lot of trouble, right? When someone's like, well, I did this thing, right? I, I did this, I applied this strategy and it worked and it's a hundred percent because of this. You're like, well, that is almost a hundred percent not going to be true. <laughs> and you're going to be in big trouble later on. And so. next thing, next thing you've got one of these companies that's, you know, going to be a, a world changing uh, force of good. Right. Right. The next thing you're at like a, WeWork work meeting, you're like, I'm pretty sure it's just office space. And then people are like, you don't get it. And then you're like, later on, it's like, no, no, I got it. Right. I think I was right on that one. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's, interesting. yeah. You know, I, I think, I think it'd be fun to see an analysis comparing uh, Microsoft and Oracle and cloud. I guess that's all I'm saying because I feel like, I feel like from 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 my thought about it for three minutes vantage point, they were structurally in the same place. They had all the same opportunity, and like, there must not that, not that there must be, but it would be fun to speculate about the reasons, right? And you know, it would probably start with like, here's the actual feature set that the Oracle Cloud had at some point versus Azure, which would be cool, right? And and. And if they're bad, the comparison would be like, I mean, the reason would be like, well, they just weren't good enough. Or maybe they were at parity or not. And then, I don't know, it's just like, why why does that happen versus the other? And and you could come up with some theories, some, as you say, opinions about doing mm-hmm. it. And, uh, you know, maybe also, before we move on to uh, recommendations and stuff, it was funny when I was reading, like, they, they got rid of 2,000 people and hired 2,000 people. It made me realize that, I think this is mostly true. For the most part, I think the first generation of people that work on any cloud thing tend to be a handful and really difficult to deal with. And uh, eventually you got to get rid of them and have the boring people come in and just be stable and build it out. Because these, the, the, these wacky people who come up with cloud stuff originally, oof, they're real, uh, real firebrands. They, they got good ideas, but I think in general they, uh, they don't fit well with uh, scaling up. So maybe that's all they did. They were like, one... We can't be paying everyone uh, three quarters of a million dollars, maybe a quarter. We'll go for that. So we're gonna we are gonna reduce our opex dramatically. Uh, and then two, these people also were kind of assholes, uh, despite what they did. So we're just gonna sweep them out, and we'll get some some boring but productive people in here uh, instead. Which that's probably not exactly what it is, but I'm still. I still have the mystery of we got rid of 2,000 people because things were going poorly. And uh, now we think we can do it again, so we're hiring 2,000 people. It's just too- I don't know. I think I feel like it happens all the time. I think because when you look at the percentage of headcount, like a lot of this would just be normal attrition. Like 2,000 people at Oracle or IBM or most large companies. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there, there is always the thing that like, you know, the, the adjective you assign to at a corporate event is often arbitrary. Like maybe some of those cloud people were actually supporting some ASP business from like JD Edwards. I don't even know what Absolutely, Oracle's old yeah. stuff is. And and they were yeah. they were classified as cloud, but not really like, you know, the cloud we would think of. And I think this is a place where Oracle PR was probably heavily involved because I think they had to come out 
um, I think a few, I think we've talked about on the show back in the time is that they came out and just said, they came out and gave the number 2000 people were let go as part of a restructuring. And then, um, and I'm sure they, when they went to Oracle for comment, they said, yeah, that, you know, they probably said, yes, you know, we did do that. And then they just turned around and said, yeah. And turns out we are hiring 2000 people and they probably pointed them to the website and said, we have making a big push. And it's just, you know, if you're thinking about to your other point, just about narrative and culture, right? And I think this is just their attempt to be like, well, hey, you know, we're growing again and we're hiring people. But really, you know, at the end of the day, 2,000 people for Oracle, it's, you know, it's not either direction. Yeah, it's, that's fair. It's not, not going to move the needle, uh, at least on their payroll. Maybe they are going to create hire 2,000 people that build great products. You know, time will tell on that. But it isn't kind of like a huge investment, right? It's not like 50% of the company is moving in any one direction. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, maybe at Legacy Conf we'll get that TK guy to come, and we'll have okay. a we'll have a we'll have an off the. Well, he would be, interview. you know, talking about your guy. He would be the guy to talk to about just hearing his story of, you know, because as they say in that article, they said he was sort of the the next guy to like lead the cloud that was taken from him, right? Yep. It was uh, sort of like, and then clearly, I would assume he had many options, right? He probably had more than one option, and he sized up and said. I want to go be, I don't see the CEO or whatever, but he's the leader of Google cloud. I don't know if that's the CEO ranks there, but, um, and you know, he clearly thought that was a place that was really well positioned. So he could probably at least give us, you know, the best side by side comparison yeah. of like I, Oracle versus Google. I think, I, I mean, it would be the, it would be the closing session at legacy comp, right? Cause it's like, we've talked about these legacy things. Now let's go to, let's go to, this is all just an excuse for me to say TK. Let's go to TK. And he is going to bridge us. He is the transition, content-wise, between legacy, you know, Oracle, and then and then what's new. How do well, you how do you the make way that migration? With one change, the one change would be, and he will be doing an interview with Michael Cote. Oh, bring it all for a circle. Yeah. There you go. That there you go. The way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll try it. Well, speaking of conferences, uh, there's no longer Spring One platform to come to. So uh, hopefully, uh, I saw many of you here. Good job coming maybe use the discount code so I get some credits. I don't know what I do with those credits. It just makes me feel happy. But uh, I am going to be at the uh, Gartner Symposium. I think it's IT Expo slash Symposium trademark. Uh, November 3rd to 7th or something like that. I'll be around there. And if you email me, I have a, a 625 euro discount code to get in there. But uh, I'm going to be having a fireside chat with someone from uh, Daimler the Mercedes-Benz people, just about what she's been uh, up to, and her more more importantly and, and accurately, her team has been up to. And it's a lot more about how um, she's managing the organization and the people stuff and, and changing it over. Of course, we wouldn't be having her up there if she wasn't, if Daimler wasn't a Pivotal customer and relied on Pivotal stuff. So there's that. You can always assume that if a vendor is bringing one of their customers to speak, that they are a customer of them. And, uh, you know, you should know that the vendor is like, hey, that's because they use us, largely. Uh, but anyways, you should come to that event if you're in the Barcelona area. And uh, what, what else do we got? We have, so, we have a lot of things. There's several other things. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 200. But we also have a discount code for KubeCon North America. You can find it, get 10% off there. That's also in November, coming up quickly. And uh, there's Delivery Conf. Uh, it's January 21st and 22nd. I assume that's next year, not years in the future. <laughs> and uh, we have a 10% discount code there. And uh, I think the call for papers has expired, but you should check those out. And there's a few more listed uh, that you can go look at. Do we have any uh, 
other than what I've heard this week, any feedback or uh, uh, stuff going on in the listener world? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, David from Boston, uh, he wrote in, so we sent him some stickers. He was kind enough to send us a picture of his dog. It's good. I'll make sure it's in the Slack. And then our, our good friend, Kote, Professor Jeremy from Chicago, he sent in in uh, his class. He took a quick poll. Looks like about uh, eight of the 22 people wanted uh, stickers. So oh. I guess we should be, should we be excited that eight people wanted it or should we be sad that 14 people declined? Although oh. I will say, he said it as he said in his email, stickers, it's a very personal decision, which I will agree with you, like stickers on the laptop. But I will say this, just because we send you a sticker and we're not requiring it goes on a laptop. I've mentioned before, I use them on Yeti cups. Um, you know, uh, my niece, she's got it on her uh, iPad. Um, you know, she's, you know, I'm really working the, the 10 year old, uh, fifth grader, you know, Uh she's got it in there with like some stickers of like rainbows and stuff. So I thought that was appropriate. There's a lot. Like, don't feel like you're, you're has to go on the laptop. Now, Brandon, does, does, does does your niece have any logs that she wants to aggregate and monitor? (laughs) Not yet. I think she's just watching YouTube and texting a lot. That's, uh, that's pretty much, uh, I, I want I want to suggest, you know, if you don't want to, you know, you could still have a sticker. And if you're one of these types who's going to be at a cocktail party and, you know, put a lampshade on your head because you're just zany, maybe just you could put a sticker on your head, too. It can just be a temporary use. That's OK. That's I, w- I would so. I would recommend the lampshade route because I don't think that happens that often anymore. And uh, that's only in the mad magazines I used to read. But uh, definitely try a lampshade. Yeah, so definitely. So okay, so yeah. So if you want a sticker for a lampshade, you, this is what you do. You just email your postal address at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. If you send me and you don't include your postal address, what I'll do is I'll just I'll just send an email back saying, I can't wait to send you stickers. Send me your postal address. Uh, but that that's great. And we can send them anywhere around the world. And for Professor Jeremy and for anybody that's uh, looking for a job, there are two listener suggested jobs this week. There's one, it's a DevOps engineer. And uh, I think you say Viasat, but I don't know how to pronounce that. So if I did it wrong, but they're looking for a DevOps uh, engineer and it's in San Diego. So you should, uh, if you're in the Slack channel, you could talk to Justin Hallis and he could um, get you hooked up with uh, probably a job interview, at least review your resume for you. Or that's not your thing. Maybe you're like, want to work remote. Then there's a full stack software engineer position at NS8 which uh, they're working on some fraud detection. You know, I'm always up for some good fraud, de- fraud detection. It looks like that job's remote. They, it looks like they want you in the United States or some United States-friendly time zones. Um, but, yeah, you can talk to Joshua Hover. I think that's how I say his last name. Um, and he's also in the Slack. So, you know, go get yourself a job if you're looking. Mm-hmm. Always good to have a job, I find, unless you have <laughs> uh, money already. Well, uh, what, what do you have to recommend this week, Brandon? Oh, my recommendation. So I've, I've taken the plunge here. Uh, I got a Synology, which is what I guess a big, uh, big storage raid thing. So I got it all hooked up. And then uh, people told me to install Plex on it. So I got this media server in there. And then, then I installed, I bought this uh, thing, this HD Home Run, which is it's sort of, uh, it's, it's simple. Kote, you just uh, plug in an antenna into it, and then it lets you uh, see all of your publicly available TV channels. Uh, and you can report them, record them with your Plex server. So I don't know. I have all this stuff. I've been playing around with it. I feel like, you know, I've, you know, everyone's going private cloud. So I've got my own little private cloud here. Um, I don't even know. It's almost more like it's an interesting, fun project just to get it all working, to see what's going on. So far, I was trying to get Matt Ray to watch some college football, uh, but he had some other mechanisms 
say, you know, see our VPN friends to mm. get his college football games. But uh, I was trying to figure out what I should do with it. So I've been playing around with it. All of it seems to work really well. Synology was really easy to set up. So uh, if you have suggestions of things I should do with my Synology now or my Plex server, you know, you know, now that I got it, let me know. But uh, if you want to try it all out, it all does seem to work. And if you're looking to cut the cord but still get, I guess, network television for whatever reason, use a Synology Plex and a HD home run. So check all that out. Now, now I've asked this several times, and I know I know you would never do anything like this, but I feel like these words I hear them, and it's basically like nerd code words for pirating stuff. Like somehow you're like recording TV here and there, and then you can share it with friends, and you can like all watch each other's stuff. Is that is that like a theoretic possibility? Yeah, that's, no, that's the whole thing, right? You get your Plex server set up, right, and then I'm sure all your media has been correctly uh put on there and then once you've done that that plex server you can you can do all kinds of stuff you can make it kind of available to anyone right you know anyone that's like publicly available or you can share it with your trusted family and friends and so uh, it's like a like a closed BitTorrent thing or like uh, or more like napster where like if we all agree we're gonna put our music look at me napster (laughs) we all agree we're gonna like uh give each other permission to read our music libraries then you can just copy the music libraries but here you would also need to record off like broadcast tv or some other video source or something yeah so it's just basically i have a bunch of media right then why not but i i will find that like Maybe just because I've gotten older, I was like, I don't actually. The it, well, the other thing that just cutting the cord is interesting. Is like, you know, at least in my family, some people want to watch some stuff on network TV, and it's just like, so this is sort of me position is like, well, here's a cheap, easy way for us to get it. Um, but I have actually found that I did. Uh, I used to have a bunch of DVDs, and of course, we all had recorded music, which we still have. But then, like, you know, once you get iTunes or whatever, I use uh, Apple Music, but if you know Spotify, whatever. And it's like, well, that's just easier. And that has like infinite music. So there's yeah. really no reason to deal with that. That's true. Um, and then I have found, I think we talked about this on another show where there's, uh, I think it's Movies Anywhere, where like once you link all your movie accounts between Amazon, um, like you can kind of just watch any content that you bought through them through any of your different services. Yeah. So that's sort of like a really easy way to do it. So this is where I was like, well, the Plex thing, uh, and I don't have like 700 uh, pirated movies. So now if you had that use case, then that would be a little different. But uh, I don't know. It just feels like it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a cool thing. But then, of course, Synology is just good if you're just into the backup, right? It's just like, I don't know. It's like when, you know, it's like when we make podcasts, you just can't have enough recordings of your podcast. You can't have enough backups of your data, mm. right? So this is like another way just in case, right? Double secret um, protection just in case uh, everything goes wrong. So I've been playing around with that as well. That's what I tell people. You can't, you can't have enough storage for your podcast. That's uh, I, I think you gotta have you gotta have a lot of storage for your your uh, your podcast. Well, I have a very simple recommendation, which is uh, not not something you necessarily can buy, but you want to look out for it. So, here at the uh, the fancy JW Marriott, they have a lounge now. A a fun speaking of a geographic oddity, I'd forgotten about this uh, for as much as I've complained about it over the years. But you know, I don't want to. I'm going to be this guy. You know, you know, Brandon uh, in Europe. When you go to a hotel lounge, the booze is all free. But here, I forget that the hotels, they usually have the honor system, and you have to pay for it, which I don't really know what the Europeans have figured out. Speaking of why Microsoft versus Oracle won, I'm not sure why it's free in Europe, but whatever. However, in the lounge here, uh, you know, with with my my new type of eating, I used to have the eating where you don't eat carbs except on Saturday. And now I have the diet where... 
I try to mostly not eat as much, do the calorie counting. But this has opened up broad new things for me where like every now and then I can be like, you know what, I'm going to try a cookie or a Coke because it's, it's cool. I actually know kind of the levels of things. And so I tried a cookie that they had, and I'm pretty sure what it had was like uh, yellow rum raisins in it. And uh, I'm going to go get one of those right after this recording because those are delicious. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was a, um, an American cookie, which is to say it was large and soft. Right, like that, I think this is kind of what makes an American cookie. It's not a biscuit, as people will say elsewhere, but it's pretty big and it's got these plump raisins in it. And you bite into it, and it just like it has that that rum taste to it. And boy, boy, was that delicious! So keep your eyes out for like cookies with bourbon raisins or rum raisins, and uh, just get yourself some of those. I think they're delicious. Well, as always, this has been another episode of Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, see all those conferences we mentioned. You can get links to our Twitter account, Instagram, LinkedIn. You should definitely join the Slack channel we've mentioned several times. Someone was asking me here, like, you know, does, uh, does anything ever actually happen in that Slack channel? The answer is yes. Things happen there that are not terrible and uh, fun. But if you go to uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 200, this is the 200th episode, you can find links to all those things and uh, various other things like that. And as always, uh, thanks for listening. And we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.